Let's take our Bibles and go to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus chapter 33. And as you're turning there, uh, if you have read your literature carefully, somebody tell me what we have here on Wednesday night. Inmate mission meal. Here's what that is. Uh, everyone at the Franklin County Jail, who's not either a violent risk or a flight risk, um, those who are they're able to bring places, they will be here on Wednesday night filling the Rocky Mount Baptist Church Fellowship Hall with inmates from Franklin County Jail. Y'all okay with that? Amen. I praise God that, that we are part of a church that takes what Jesus actually said serious. And Jesus says, when I was in prison, you came and you visited me. And we're not just going to visit them. We're asking them into the house. And so if you can make it 530 on Wednesday, we're going to have them here and we're going to share the gospel uh, and I have been requested for some of you ladies, uh, the, the church is providing the meal, but we need you ladies to bring some desserts. Can you help us out? I mean, if y'all have ever been to a Rocky Mount Baptist church eating function, which really most everything we do, we eat, right? Like no matter what we do, I mean, it could be softball, we're going to have hot dogs, right? And so if you can bring that, um, that would really help us out. But if you've never been a part of anything like this, if you can just come and observe or come and just mingle with those guys, let them know that you love them. And we heard through the grapevine from last year, so many of those guys said we could not conceive that a church would ever do anything like that for people like us. Time out. To Jesus, we're all sinners, Right? There's no like the good middle class people come to church and the bad. No, no, no. None of that. Number one. And they said they actually treated us like we were somebody. You see, I really think that the measure of our, our faithfulness to Jesus is what we do with people that nobody else wants. And can we be very frank for, for a few minutes? Um, and we're so thankful for, for all the young families that the Lord has brought us. But in church growth today, they say that's who you want to target. Young families who can tithe. Now, if you have a job, we all should give to the Lord, right? But I think it's far more biblical to stop targeting people that can help us and target people who could never help us. Number one, it's what Jesus told us to do. Secondly, the world looks in and they say, well, we can understand from a business standpoint how you target people who can help you. But when you target people who can't help you, and even more so, it could maybe even cause some people not to come to your church if they know that you have a bunch of inmates there, quote unquote. You know what that does? That breaks apart the world's logic. It destroys it. And Jesus says that this preaching of the gospel is through the Apostle Paul. He says it's foolishness. The preaching of the gospel is foolish, foolishness to the world. So let's begin to pray. And I know so many of us already have for Wednesday night, 530, for these guys. If you can make it, come by and shake a few hands, pat them on the back. And it very well could be that coming and showing these men the love of Christ would give them the confidence that Jesus can save me because Jesus has saved people enough to reach out to me while I'm still an inmate. 
And it very well could be that for some of these men, what will happen on Wednesday night will make the difference between life and death. It will make a difference between them going back into jail, going to prison, and their little sons and daughters at home having a dad who's there or a dad who's lifelong in prison. It could make the difference. And for our conservative friends this morning, I have a word for you. If you complain about the recidivism in the prison system, but you don't do anything to reach out to those who are in prison or here, you are a hypocrite and you need to examine your heart to see if you're really saved. Let me say that again. If you are a conservative and you say we need to have firm laws, which we should, the law should be the law as long as it's just. You say we need to be firm and just, but yet you don't follow what Jesus said to do to reach out to those who have broken the law. You are a hypocrite and you need to examine your heart to see if Jesus has truly changed you. Because the ones who were existing, who were, who were pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing so hard for the minutia, in Jesus' day were the ones who opposed him, but it was the broken ones who were attracted to Jesus. That's one way to begin a sermon, right? In all seriousness, no matter what our persuasion is, economically, politically, any type of that, we have to come to the point, are we going to take Jesus' word seriously and love those who many people consider to be unlovable? And one thing that will really help us with that is we can take a step from the mirror Take a step away and say, what was I before Jesus walked by and saved me? If we think that we're lovable today, it's only because of Jesus. And if we could be really honest and talk to those people who know us most, they could step to the side and say, you know, in many situations, you're really not that lovable even still. But it's because of the grace of Jesus that enables us to reach out. So let's go to Exodus chapter 33. And we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, We're going to go through about four weeks of evangelism. Uh, Let's just throw it out. Somebody help me out. When we say evangelism, what is the definition of evangelism? Somebody give it a shot. Share the gospel. Exactly. The gospel means, what does the gospel mean? The good news. Now, I'm not even going to ask how many of our church members didn't know what evangelism was. And here's the thing. If you're new to church, we're so glad you're here. Amen? Rocky Mountain Baptist, if this stuff is new to you, these terms, here's the thing. Whenever we run across something we don't know, if you're passionate about woodwork, what do you do? You look it up and you learn it, right? If you're passionate about fishing, you say, I've never known how to do that lure and and do that. You you look it up and you learn it. So what we're going to do in these next four weeks, since God has blessed us so much at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, let's go back to the book and really get to the motives of evangelism. So evangelism is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time at all, you'll know that evangelism is usually viewed in a fearful way by many people in church. Now, most of us who are Christians here would say, Christ followers, should we share the gospel? Yes. Yes. How many of us regularly share the gospel? Oh, woe is me. And sometimes we're like, "I, I know I should talk to people about Jesus, but I don't as much as I should. And for some, it's like an issue of, well, I don't exactly know what to say. Like, how do you, how do you go from T-ball talk to Jesus talk? Right? I mean, you're driving down the road with your coworker, and 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 they don't know Jesus, and you're like, I mean, do I start talking like in the Holy Spirit, like, like, 
air conditioning come out of the vents like he's like the spirit and air and that no that'd be weird or or do i just come out and be like so are you going to hell no that would be very offensive so what do you do we're going to cover that in this series but in all honesty and seriousness the way that we become good evangelists and we begin to share the gospel doesn't have an issue to do with a lack of training it begins with a change of heart we could have a monday night evangelism class but unless the heart is changed We won't have a desire to become what Jesus says we will be. What did he tell Peter? He says, you will become fishers of men. I can't wait till the last message in this series. It's going to be awesome. So here's here's what we know. Number one, we should share the gospel. Secondly, most of us don't share it as much as we should. And then it's an issue of how do we share it. But then let's get even deeper today. Go down to the root system of the root system and say... We're going to have to put our floaties on. Why do we share the gospel? Why should we share the gospel? Because here's the thing. When we ask the question in church, why should we share the gospel? It's almost like going into the locker room of a major league baseball team and saying, why do we play baseball? They're like, bro, we're already here. Like, like we've got that down. But sometimes in the church, what we automatically go to is we say, well, the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of how many nations? All, all the nations, like pantata ethne, ethnicities, all the nations. But let's ask a question. Um, why did Jesus command us to do that? I mean, was the Great Commission something that Jesus is there, he has conquered death, he's rose from the dead, and then right before he ascends into heaven, he's like, oh, guys, by the way, Peter, stop threatening the other disciples, right? Um, Go into all the world just so I don't forget and make disciples of every nation. Was it just a tag on the end of Jesus's ministry or is it something deeper? What we're going to look at this morning, going back to Exodus 33, and we're going to take a survey through the Bible. We're going to look at some theology this morning. And hopefully what we will uncover is that from Genesis to Revelation, it was always God's plan to make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission was not something new, but it was simply a reminder to Jesus' disciples of what it was about the whole time. So here's our driving thought today. Why should we share the gospel? Many Christians will say because we are commanded to. Question, why did Jesus command us to share the gospel? And here's the answer. We share the gospel because God is worthy of the worship of every single person on the planet. God is worthy. It is altogether right and proper that every single person who's alive today worship God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. It is altogether right that people all across the planet kneel the knee to Jesus and they take off that facade of a good person and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. It is altogether right because Jesus deserves that. So here is the reason, and this may be somewhat changing for some of you who said we share the gospel simply because we're commanded instead of asking the question, why did Jesus command us? We share the gospel. Yes, there's a lot of joy in it. I mean, if you could bottle, if you could bottle the feeling you get when you tell people about Jesus 
or when you do outreach, those of you who are VBS pros, VBS PhDers, and I mean, you have those kids coming through here and you have them in their class and you, you kneel down and you tell them about Jesus and it's like the little light bulbs go on in their mind and they go home and they're telling their parents about Jesus and driving their parents nuts <laughs> with the songs that you can't get out of your head even still today. That feeling that you get, it's powerful. That's a part of evangelism. And then sometimes, and we're going to talk about this uh, next week. Many people have been in church their whole life and they say, Jeff, I've never heard a sermon on hell. We're going to talk about hell next week. Whole time. I mean, if it's real and real people go there, then, then I should be moved with compassion, right? Moved with compassion so that people don't go there. That's an element of it. Well, isn't God love? Yes, God wants his love to be shared with everyone. But the ultimate undergirding foundational reason why we share the gospel is because God is worthy of worship. John Piper said missions exist. You may want to write this down. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So we share the gospel because God is worthy of everything. So here's the question. We share the gospel for the glory of God. What is the glory of God? If you're following along in your outline there, we know that the worthiness of God, this is the glory of God. It is the worthiness of God to receive our obedience and our worship. In the Old Testament, glory generally represents, and this is from one of our statements, uh, the Hebrew word kabod, which has the root idea of heaviness, of weight, or of worthiness. In one Bible dictionary, it says that the glory of God is the most important concept in the Bible, and it's the glory of Yahweh, God. This denotes the revelation of God's being, nature, and presence to mankind, sometimes even with physical phenomena. So in Exodus 33, knowing that the glory of God is what life is all about, here is Moses. This is smack dab in the middle of drama central. If you make a note in your Bibles in Exodus 32, this is when Moses had been on the mountain for a long, long time. And the people had said, you know what? Maybe he got lost. Maybe he fell off a cliff. We don't know what happened to this man named Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So what are we going to do? They said, let's build us an idol. Now, can we all say hashtag derp? I mean, really, like, like you're, you're in the wilderness and your leader is AWOL or so they think. And they're like, let's build an idol. Here's where it really gets crazy. They all, the men and women, apparently they all wore earrings in. They all took off their earrings, gave it to Moses' brother Aaron, who actually would bend according to public opinion. Let me just say a note here. As followers of Jesus, the only poll that we should be uh, worrying about is what God has clearly said in his word. That frees us from having to please people. Amen? And if I'm living for him, then I'm satisfied. So guess what they did? They gave it to Aaron, and he makes, out of all things... An idol in the shape of, help me out church, a calf. Alright, hold on. It's one thing if you're gonna make an animal, like make a dragon. Right? I mean make, I don't know, make a bull. But no, it was a little calf. Are we tracking with that? A calf. Y'all with me this morning? All these people together say collectively, let's make a calf and let's say this little G God will lead us out of the wilderness. 
Now, if we study the ancient Near East religious history, we will know that in the time of the kings, uh, many years later, there was a false god that involved everything from ritual orgies to human sacrifice to bestiality. And it was all under the watershed of a false god named B-A-A-L, Baal or Baal. And Baal was a bull. And uh, most of our children are out of here, but most of pagan Canaanite religion had to do with fertility. And we're just going to say this because it's accurate. When they made these images, it was not just an image of a, of a bull or a calf. It greatly enhanced the genitalia of the animal because they believed that if they worship these false gods, track with this, that those false gods are in control of the weather system. Therefore, if they were in control of the weather systems, a better produce for your crops, which means more bling and cha-ching. Got it? By the way, that's the same reason why people make compromises today. The greenback God of money. And so here's Moses. He's on the mountain with God. God gives him this law. And he comes down off the mountain. I mean, you talk about a mountaintop experience. Sometimes we've gone to a a revival weekend or a youth camp or a mission trip. And we just come back like, man, like Jesus is going to come back today. Like I'm so incredibly pumped. And then you come back into real life. Does anybody else feel me out there? You ever been there? Like, or even it's a great church service and you leave and you're just like, man, it was amazing. And then reality hits. Here's Moses and he comes down and he realizes what the people have done. And he is so broken over what they have done, how quickly they have cast God aside that Moses takes those tablets that God wrote and he just He just, I mean, it was like, it was like a throw it on the ground skit. And he just threw them at the base of the mountain and they shattered. And then in verse 12, in chapter 33, Moses begins to intercede and pray for the people. In verse 17, the Lord says to Moses, the very thing that you have spoken of, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And here's our text. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, meeting God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For, look at this, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Here is Moses in the middle of a very difficult time. And what does Moses say? He says, Lord, show me your glory. It would have been, God is saying, it would have been sensory overload for Moses to see the full glory of God. And this is where, as I'm studying this text, I'm like, how do I even explain something that's unexplainable? You see, Moses was living in a culture that settled for cheap imitations. But Moses says, I know that your glory is not found in a magnificent mountain. 
It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's amazing. It's foreboding. I know it's not found in false gods, but God, please, in the middle of this crazy culture, in the middle of people who stab you in the back quickly, in the middle of a culture of people who really don't care about God, God, please, please, that's what he says, show me your glory. And that should be our prayer in evangelism and in everything in our life. And when we look at the pages of the Bible, when God showed humans like you and I just a small percentage just a small glimpse of his glory it was almost too much for them to bear i mean i've never been to the grand canyon but friends who have have said jeff we take pictures but some of y'all have been there but it's like the pictures don't do justice it's like you take a picture but you want to take panoramic pictures and then you want to take video and then you want to just get something that you can bring back and almost taste because it's so amazing But yet many of us have settled for church as usual. Many of us have settled for what we think is the Christian life as usual. And I think, man, if we would just say as a church and as individual followers of Christ, God, would you show me your glory? Would you help me to live for your glory? I don't know how big that's going to be in my life, but I know that you can do great things in my life for my family. What would it be like? And it's almost like some of us have settled We're there overlooking the Grand Canyon. But yet we limit God. And we say, I do what I do, not for bad reasons, but I don't do it for the glory of God. And God, I don't know if you can use me. That was Moses' story, do you remember? Here he is, he can't speak very well. He's like, God, I I can't speak. Most scholars think that he actually had a stuttering problem. And God's like, no worries, I got your brother, he can speak for you. He can understand your speech impediment. Got that covered. You know Moses was like, oh, because he didn't want the job. And I think sometimes when we settle short for the glory of God, it's like, I don't know, it's like being close to the edge of the Grand Canyon, getting inside a porta potty and taking selfies. Right? Settling for something that's this just simple something that's that's this very very limited and moses says god i want you to show me your glory now in the old testament this is key for some of you that are new to jesus and you're reading your bibles in the old testament the glory of god was to reside within the tabernacle and then when the temple was built by solomon it was supposed to reside there so that only the high priest could go into the holy of holies And that was where the glory of God was. But then as we read our Bibles, we find out that the glory of God, when Jesus came, if you want to make a note in your Bibles in John chapter 1 verse 14, the Bible tells us clearly, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the glory of God was at a specific location. When Jesus came, the glory of God was in a specific person. And here's the beautiful part. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, today, now that Jesus has ascended with the Father, the glory of God is shown and it's on display in transformed hearts in verse 4 it says in their case speaking of lost people 
The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's where it's incredibly exciting to think that the glory of God was in the temple and the tabernacle and that it was in Jesus in full display. And then today when you get saved, that gives glory to God. Amen, church. I mean, it's like this. It's like this. You take a person who's an arrogant, selfish jerk. Everybody knows it. They don't say it. Because they're an arrogant, selfish jerk, right? Like, everybody knows it. And you take that person who meets Jesus, and they get changed. And nobody can figure out how. And there is a name, Jesus. That's how. There are people in marriages who cannot forgive their spouse, or their children, or their mom, or their dad. But when Jesus comes by, he changes their heart. And now they have the grace to forgive. That gives glory to God, because only Jesus can do that. When we have prisoners here at our church, the world says, why would you do that? We say we do it for the glory of God. We love people. May God break our hearts when we become callous to people. But let us never think that what we do, we do only for people. Because what God calls you to do for his glory will be, please hear me, it will be difficult things for hard to love people. And if we do what we do for people, and those people absolutely refuse us and defend us, then everything slowly is extinguished right there. But if we do it for the glory of God, whether people accept it, whether they reject it, whether they're ugly about it, whether they give us a blueberry cake for it. Amen? It means that we're doing it for God. And for some people, they say, okay, Jeff, we're talking about evangelism, sharing the gospel. I need to get saved. I'm here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church this morning, and I need Christ. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give my life, please track with me here, I'm going to give my life to Jesus so that I don't have to go to hell. Or I'll give my life to Jesus so that he'll fix my marriage. Or I'll give my life to Jesus because I drink too much and I need to stop and I can't without him. All that is, is using Jesus for our own personal benefit. I know this is running roughshod over what is preached in many churches, but the reason why we get saved is because we have offended the God of the universe. We don't get saved so that we can be saved from hell. We get saved because Jesus deserves our worship. Saved from hell is a part of it. But it's when. And some of you, when you've been saved, you remember how it was. When you heard that message, it's like, oh man, all that I've done. All that I haven't done. All the times I've just been so arrogant and prideful. I didn't cuss anybody out. I didn't slash somebody's tire, but I was just so full of myself. And I see how offensive that is to the God who created me and the one who had everything, but yet Jesus, the one who had everything, gave up everything for those who had nothing. And I repent and I turn to Jesus. You see, our 
Our liberal friends will tell us in liberal churches, we don't really know if Jesus rose from the dead and we don't really know if there's a heaven. But if you believe in Jesus, this comes from Paris Reedhead, they say you'll have a good life. Some conservative churches like us who actually believe the Bible, we can very easily go wrong or we'll say, don't worry about this life. If you give your life to Jesus, you'll have a better next life. That's using God as a slot machine. Life exists for his glory. And the reason why we come to Jesus to begin with is because he deserves our worship. And he deserves our repentance. And he deserves our faith in him. Jonathan Edwards said this, God is not... God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by it being rejoiced in. You see, seeing the glory of God go throughout all the earth, like in Psalm 57, 11, be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory cover the earth. That is our passion at Rocky Mount Baptist Church and his followers of Christ. There's a note in your, in your outline. I want you to go through it with me here as we bring this message to a close. The phrase, quote, give glory to God, unquote, is a Hebrew idiom. It's, it's, a, it's a speech. It's a type of uh, way of talking, meaning confess your sins. The words of the Jews to the blind man, give God the praise, are an adjuration to confess. They are equivalent to give God the glory by speaking the truth. To say that God is so great that he is indescribable would be accurate. And when it comes to the point where we have hearts that change so that we share the gospel for the glory of God, it has to come to a point where we confess. And for those of you that are here this morning and you know that you are trusting in your own goodness and your own self-righteousness to get you to heaven, Jesus is showing you. And for our, our members, please don't, don't uh, set up purses and put things away right now. We're almost to the invitation. When you realize that you are lost and that you cannot save yourself. God gets glory from you confessing that and saying, God, I could never earn my way to heaven. Please forgive me and take control of my life. And when people look at that beautiful picture of a broken man, a broken woman, and a loving God who pursues, and we say, God, I can't do it, but would you show me your glory in my life? Would you show me your glory by changing my heart? Jesus answers. Because the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, the Lord Jesus, we will be saved.